Hey, and uh, welcome to Rockbridge. want to welcome all of our campuses, all six of our physical locations, those of you that have joined us online as well. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team, and just glad and excited that you are with us. Hey, we are taking the Lord's Supper together uh, this weekend at our campuses, and if you're watching on your device somewhere at home or in your college dormitory, you just want to grab something appropriate to represent the body and blood of Jesus. If you're a believer, and we'll talk about that toward the end of our service and our time together. Also, we are moving into the Easter season, so all six of our physical locations have a special Good Friday service. That'll be on April the 7th, and it'll be at 6.30 p.m., and we'll use that as an opportunity to get ready for Easter, but also mark the crucifixion and also observe the Lord's Supper. So if you have been with us for uh, like the past 23 weeks or so, we have been navigating through the entire letter that's known as 1 Corinthians, and we are Two, two weeks away from wrapping that up this week and then next week. And as we set this up, we're concluding chapter 15 today. As we set this up, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about a day in your future that is affecting how you live today in this present moment. So a day in your future that's affecting how you're living today. Some of you you know, if you're here at Rockbridge PM on a Thursday night, you're thinking about Friday, right? And you, it's, you're already in a good mood because half your week is over, right? Some of uh, you, you went to work or you're going to go to work tomorrow, and you're thinking about maybe retirement. And, and so the reason you're going to work is because you want to earn enough money so you can retire. Some of you go to school and you're thinking about graduation or you want a job or you want to get into a college and so that day college and graduation is affecting how you live today. Some of you are athletes and so you're in preseason and so you're working out and you're running or you're getting in shape for your sport because the season begins sometime in the future. So that's like an example of what we're talking about. So there's just this principle that affects us as human beings that that day affects this day. That day sometime in the future affects this day in the present. Stores that where you go shopping, they play to this, right? They're like at Christmas season, they start putting out signs and putting out the red and the Santa Claus because they know it's getting time for us to go shopping. You go into stores now and they already kind of have like the Easter stuff that's coming out because Easter's not that far away. So this plays into a whole host of things, right, that days in the future affect today's in the present. Like if you have vacation scheduled, some of us, you know, you maybe got spring break coming up or you already know what you're going to do in July or June, whenever your family goes, the closer you get to that day, the better this day is, right? I mean, that's like an amen, right? Because you're like, you can have the worst day at work, and you're like, I don't care, right? Because in two days, I'm going to be on the beach, baby, right? That day affects this day. What Paul's going to talk about in the last half of 1 Corinthians 15 is this principle, is this principle. But that day that Paul's going to talk about is massive implications. It's the day Jesus resurrects everyone. Body, soul, unite together and begins his new kingdom. We're going to actually start at the very end of chapter 15 and then reverse engineer. So here's how Paul starts. He says, therefore, and this therefore is talking about that day. So because of that day... When Jesus returns, when uh, the, de the 
physically dead or reunited with their spirit and their soul when, when Jesus established his, his reign. Therefore, that day, my dear brothers and sisters, here's how we need to live this day. Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling, always abounding, always overflowing in the Lord's work. Not getting cynical, not getting burned out, not giving up, right? Not getting off target, staying locked in, focused, focused in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So how you're living today, steadfast, immovable, excelling, has somehow is going to be connected to that day when Christ returns, when Christ makes everything right, and when Christ comes back. So let's just look at how we're supposed to live this day, today. Steadfast, immovable, overflowing. Here would be some descriptions. A steadfast person does not focus on the darkness of the difficulty. And let's just be honest. This day, these days we live in have difficulty. Does not focus on the gloom of circumstances, nor the discouragement that sometimes our feelings give us. Instead, steadfast, immovable, overflowing are empowered by a vision that day in the future and strengthened by trust and dependence of God working right now. And so this is how we're supposed to live this day. This is how we're supposed to live right now in the here and now because of what is coming then and there. What is coming then and there. Same way, you know, man, today is going to be a good day because it's Friday and I'm done at 5 o'clock. Or today's a good day because I'm going on vacation in three days or four days. What, that, that day affects this day. And that's what Paul's trying to say, and he's going to connect the dots. Now, let's zoom out for a minute before we get into the description of that day in the future and talk about it a little bit. Here's what we have to know about God. And this is where you and God, me and God, we don't get along sometimes or we don't see eye to eye sometimes, okay? God, because he's eternal and he's omnipresent and he's omniscient, God is all-knowing, okay? So he always relates to you and I with eternity in view. He never just relates to you and I with, hey, you're midlife or you're a teenager. He relates to you and I through the scope of eternity because he can see it. He transcends time, and he has eternal plans, eternal hopes, eternal ambitions for you and I. So he never, ever just relates to us with 2023 in view. He never just relates to us with the fact that, hey, you just want to get married as soon as possible. He never just relates to us with you're just trying to make it to retirement and pray there's something left in Social Security, right? He never does that because he's eternal and he has eternal purposes and he's got a day that he's moving everything toward. He can already see it. It's real to him. He shares enough about it in his word that he wants that day to affect us this day. So it sort of looks like this. <clears throat> this is eternity past, and this is eternity present. God's eternal. So God can see all of this, okay? The cross, which we've been talking about, is the ripple effect, right? It's the massive displacing event in history. God drops his son into history, placed his son on a cross. He burst out of an empty tomb, and it ripples effect, past, present, future, affecting everything, the implications, the power, the ramifications of the cross. Now, you and I kind of live here on this dot, okay? And it's easy for us 
to forget about the past, what God did in the past. It's easy for us to think this is so far ahead. I can't, it doesn't matter what happens out here because of what I'm dealing with, going through, or want to have happen here. And a lot of us miss God, misunderstand God, because we live at the dot and we don't keep eternity in view. So what Paul is working toward in 1 Corinthians, the last part of 15, which we're, we're diving in, is he's talking about this day, this, that day out here when Jesus comes again, reestablishes and restores creation to its original purpose, destroys death, destroys disease, destroys the rebellion against him, where the sin will be no more, tears will be no more, death will be no more. And he says that day should affect this day, the dot. Now, we get blinders on, right? And we're like, God, what about this? What about this? What about this? And God's like, hey, step back. And I'm going to show you some things in my word. And I'm going to show you some things under the illumination of the Holy Spirit. If you're teachable and humble and you're willing to let God be God, not God, just, not God be God over your dot, but God be God over all of eternity because he can't be anything less than that because he is eternal, God's going to give you something that will make you steadfast and movable and always excelling in his work. So let's look at this. This is not just, we find this principle I'm talking about all throughout Scripture. God chose him, Jesus, as your ransom long before the world began. God had all this in mind long before he said, let there be light. But now in these last days, that's the dot, he has been revealed for your sake because that day should affect this day. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, Paul says, confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day, that's that day, of Jesus Christ. So God's working on you in your dot so that when that day comes, you'll be perfect, you'll be ready You'll be fully capable of enjoying the majesty, the eternity, the immensity, the glory that's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus leveraged this principle. Remember, some of you, you've probably heard this at funerals. Jesus is getting ready to leave, getting ready to be crucified and ascend, and his disciples are like troubled and worried and anxious. And here's what he says. He says, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, Believe in God, believe also in me. So trust me, let's be steadfast, let's be immovable. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, uh, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? So that day needs to affect this day. Because of that day, don't be troubled in your dot. Don't be troubled in this day. And so what Paul's going to work to give us and this, now we're going to go back to the beginning of where that therefore, what that therefore is referencing in verse 58. We're going to go back to verse 35. Is he's referencing a vision of life, a vision of existence that is not bound by the dot, but is bound by eternity and that day God has in mind. And it's almost like what we read in Proverbs where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint or the people are unrestrained. And one translation, this is ESV, says prophetic vision. So this is not just my vision for me, the American dream vision for me, my parents' vision for me. This is God's vision that gives us the ability, cast off restraint, to be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work. 
Back to verse 35. This is the therefore part of verse 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? So Paul's trying to instill this prophetic vision that's not bound by the dot, but goes out into eternity toward that day. And people say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? And and, and it's almost like we need to say this, okay? If we're going to embrace this vision that will enable us to be immovable, steadfast, always excelling in the Lord's work, if we're going to embrace that vision, here's what we can't do. We can't start with or get stuck on how. Let go of how. Here's what I know about how. How kills vision. How takes hope down and puts it on life support. How, you think about how enough, your stress will go up, right? I remember in the days when we started Rockbridge, right? We started with 25 people, one location, one language, okay? And, and it was how, how, how. And if you ask that question enough, I just wanted to go lock myself in the closet and say, I don't know how. I give up, right? But God doesn't call us to give up. What does he call us to be? Steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. You can how God's vision for you to death. And here's what I think we have to do. We have to let God be God of the how. We have to let God be God of the how and trust where he's taken history. Because here's what it's like. A lot of us inside our yellow dot, inside our dot, we're like, how can God bring good out of this? How can God work in my situation? How can God redeem me? How can God deal with this? How God, how God, how God? And I'm going to just say this and level with everybody. God doesn't always tell us how, and he doesn't owe us how. Because he gave himself on the cross. So here's what Paul does. He gives a little illustration. And he starts talking about seeds and plants. Here's what he says. He says first he says, you fool. So don't focus on how. That's pretty strong language. What you sow does not, does not come to life until it dies. So he talks like about a seed. Like a, think about a pumpkin seed or a watermelon seed that becomes a tiny seed that becomes something else, right? He says it has to go in the ground and die. So as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed. So the body you and I have right now is a seed, therefore that will die. And, and out of that seed, though, still connected, comes this resurrection of this new body perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives, a bo- gives it a body as he wants and to each of the seeds its own body. So all he's saying is this. You eat watermelon, right? Or, you eat a, or you've had a pumpkin or carved a pumpkin and you don't stress about, man, how did that little watermelon seed become a big watermelon? You just eat the watermelon, right? You don't stress about how? So he's like, look, don't, don't worry about how what happens in your dot is going to be rewarded or fixed or redeemed or restored in eternity. Instead, all God's saying is like, you trust the way God made that seed. You plant it, it becomes a plant or a flower or bears fruit that you enjoy. And you just trust the way it works, right? So all he's saying is like, put who over your how, and God is who. And he's the God of the how. And never forget this about God. He's almighty. I think sometimes... In our very therapeutic society, therapeutic means we want people to help us, right? That's why Dr. Phil's so popular, why people listen to Oprah or used to listen to Oprah or whatever, right? It, 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 we're therapeutic, okay? So we want to relate to God that way, friend, counselor, comforter. He's all of those things, but never forget God is also almighty. 
And Almighty God can handle how way better than I can even comprehend or understand. Let me give you an analogy of this. I, I want just imagine you're watching a tic-tac-toe game, okay? And and imagine, you know, you know, the, the guy that you're the person you're watching watching is the is the man when it, like he's a Jedi master. He's like Master Yoda of tic-tac-toe, okay? You you know he's gonna win. You don't know how, but you just know he's like Yoda of tic-tac-toe. So the game opens and Yoda. He puts an X right there, okay? Now, this doesn't tell us who's going to win, but, man, Yoda did it, right? Okay? God said, let there be light. God sent his only begotten son, right? God made that move, okay? And so the opponent, he makes a move, and he puts it right here. Now, if you play tic-tac-toe, you kind of know where this is going. Like, oh, that was the dumbest move on the books, right? Or you're like, oh, I still don't. Or some of us are like, I don't see the victory yet. The victory's on the board right now, although only two moves have been made. Okay? This is like us. We're looking at the world, and we're like, who's going to win? And God's like, well, I am. I'm the Yoda of the board. I, 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 I'm eternal. I'm almighty. And some of us are like, God, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. How are you going to win? They're like, okay. But, 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 but Satan or the enemy is just going to do that right there. I, I still don't see the victory. Okay. Now do you see it? He goes here. We go here. He goes here, we go here. Yoda wins. Now, we don't see it there, do we? Inside the dot, we don't see it, do we? Inside the dot of our life, how, God, how? How are you going to win? Okay, that didn't, I still don't see it. Okay. Ooh. Ooh. I think so, but I'm not quite sure. You know, maybe. And, we, and, and so some of us are like, God, I don't know if I can trust you. And we're like, eh, it looks like. Wow. God wins. This, because Jesus rose from the dead, we know who wins. He's the God of the how, because he's almighty God. So there's an invitation that we need to hear this weekend. We can't relate to God and we can't live our life at the level of our own understanding. Okay? You know, I, I tell you, you know, my life verse verses really Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 starts with lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and he'll direct your path. So we'll miss God if we get hung up on how and if we think we have to understand everything God has shown enough and done enough we know how who wins it's not in question he continues with this vision of how that day affects this day and he says not all flesh is the same flesh there is one flesh for humans he's talking about creation now another for animals another for birds and another for fish Okay, yeah, we look different than a fish. We look different. Humans are, you know, we all, we understand that. 
There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. And, and all he's talking about, he says, listen, God has created things, and, and we're part of the creation of God, and he's created things for splendor and for glory. And so there's an invitation of what Paul's addressing as he's looking at that day and he's looking past the dot and he's looking to the victory and he's looking to, to, to the day where we'll be complete in Christ as promised because God's going to finish what he starts. And there's an invitation here about how God has wired us and works in us and it's to embrace God's will and vision for your life. But it's not just your earthly life, it's your entire eternal life. And I would just say, let's, I'm going to talk us through this, but we want to embrace God's will and vision for our eternal life, and we want to add and include the word splendor as an adjective because God promises to glorify you and I on that day. Not always this day, but on that day, and that day ought to affect this day. So let, let, me, let me unpack this for a little bit. A lot of us, when we talk about God's vision and God's will, we're bounding, we, bound, we bound it by the dot. God's, God's will is my career. God's will is who I marry when I get married. Maybe God's will is where I'm going to live. God's vision for me includes my calling or, you know, I'm an educator or I'm a coach or I'm a pastor or I'm a business person or I, I work with my hands or I, all of those things. And we think that's, always, that's how we think about God's will and God's vision. And, and, and Paul would just jump right in and say, that's this day thinking. And that's not being affected by that day. And, and Paul would say, listen, I want you to understand God has a vision not just for your earthly life expectancy. God has a vision just not for your little dot on the speck, on the scope of the, or the spectrum of eternity. God has a vision for how and who you're going to be forever. And it's glorious and, it's splend and it's, it could be called splendor over you. And he's inviting us to embrace that type of vision. And if we do, that day affects this day because of where everything's headed. And he, he, he kind of unpacks this thought as he continues on in verse 42. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. He says, look, we're sown in corruption. We're, 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 we come into this world corrupted by sin with bodies that run out, with bodies that can be killed tragically, suddenly, or through natural causes. But we're raised in incorruption. We're sown in dishonor. We're raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. And he says if there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And he talks again about Adam and Christ. We talked about that last week. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, Adam. The second man is from heaven, Jesus. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust, us before Jesus, like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven, those who have trusted in Christ. And then look at, the, look at how he concludes this thought. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we look like human beings, we will also bear the image 
of the man of heaven. One day we will be Christ-like. So I want to ask you something. Do you have a vision for your life past this life? A vision for your life past the dot. Because we probably all walked in, turned on our computers to tune in to Rockbridge Online. We probably all walked in here and we're dominated by the dot. It's just clouding, dominating, directing our thinking. And, and I just want us to use our imaginations. God gives us an imagination, okay? Let's use our imagination and let's imagine what we will be like out here. Out here. See, the dot's kind of big in our mind, but it's real tiny in the scope of things. Can you imagine raised in power, raised in incorruption, sown natural, raised spiritual? sown or looking like Adam, looking like Jesus. Can you imagine? We need to let that imagination fuel our hope and fuel our joy, even if the dot is tough, even if the dot is difficult. Why? So we can be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work in the dot because we know the best is yet to come when Christ comes again. Yeah, it's so powerful, right? It's so powerful. Then he kind of moves toward a climactic conclusion. He says this, what I am saying, so he's got kind of, he got, lean in with me, brothers and sisters, what he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Here's the way that would literally kind of, how, what he's saying. He's like, as we currently are, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God because we're sown in corruption. Something has to happen to us. What has to happen to us? Christ has to happen to us. We have to put our faith in Christ, our trust in Christ. We have to give our sins to Christ. We give the steering wheel of our life to Christ. The spirit of Christ comes to indwell us. We become his temple. And then we now are ready for what God is doing. We are now sealed by the Holy Spirit, bought by the blood of Jesus. We have a secure future that can't fade, can't perish, can't spoil. We have an inheritance of glory because of what Christ has done. And so we lean into that, and Paul says, now listen, I'm going to tell you a mystery. So mystery means how is going to be a little foggy. So we need to be able to embrace mystery. We need to let God be the God of the house. I'm going to tell you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep. So he's, going to, he's talking about now believers who are here when Jesus comes back. They haven't physically died. Paul lived with the understanding that Jesus could come back at any time. Do we? So he goes there. He says, okay, if Jesus comes back and you and I haven't physically died, here's what's going to happen. We will all be changed, resurrection body, new body, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. That's the trumpet sound in the Jewish mind and, and, and in the Old Testament and even Revelation is a battle cry, an announcement, a heralding of attention, a climactic moment. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. So people who have died before Jesus comes back the second time, their bodies will be raised. Their bodies will be raised, but it's a different body. The body that went in the ground was the seed. The seed of the watermelon looks nothing like the watermelon, but somehow they're connected. It's a mystery. Let God have how, but they'll be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. 
for this corruptible body. There's probably not a single person in this room unless you're like under 25 that hasn't embraced the fact that your body is corruptible. Can I get her some amens, right? Okay, thank you, right? Must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed, clothed excuse me, with immortality. With this corruptible, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Everything's headed here. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Isn't that great? Death, our big enemy, we haven't conquered death yet, have we? We've put a man on the moon, but we can't keep men and women out of a coffin. Death has been, but Jesus can, has been swallowed up in victory. And he even taunts death. He's quoting from Isaiah 28. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? And then he says, well, here's why we die. Let's be clear. The sting of death is sin. So sin, when we sin... It's like the snake bite. It results in death. And the power of sin is the law. The law of God tells us that what we're doing is wrong and tragic. Just like if someone were walking off a 10-story building, you would say, hey, the law of gravity is not going to be kind to you. The law of God tells us that sin results in death. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what he's talking about is this, and this is part of that vision, the prophetic vision that we should embrace the inevitable, which is victory through Jesus Christ. See, I I really think a lot of us, we live as if victory is possible, but not inevitable. We live as if victory is possible, and that possible is where stress comes and anxiety comes and fear comes and hope dies. God, how is it possible? How, God? Well, God's almighty. God's over the how. He's raised Jesus. He'll raise us too if our faith is in him. So I want us to look at something, and then we'll prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. We look at that, and I think this is a picture of some of our lives. How? Does this result in victory? This may be a divorce. This may be the pains of addiction. This may be guilt for sin. This may be something the doctors just told you. This may be the pain and the sorrow and the lament you feel. When you experience racism or injustice or you hear about a tragedy and you're like, God, why? 
And God, how? But we know who. And we know God wins. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. The victory in Christ is inevitable. And God has given us a reminder because we're prone to forget. I could go back and I could show you the tic-tac-toe game over and over and over again. But still, when this move gets made, you're like, oh, I don't know if we're going to make it. How? And so God knows we need reminding. And so he gave us the Lord's Supper to remind us that God is the victor over death. That God is the author of healing and deliverance. That God is the one who died in our place. That God is the one who died instead of us. That the enemy will never ever get an advantage on God or over God. And that our life and our time are in his hands. And victory is his. Now here's the beautiful thing. When Paul, and we, we did this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that was a while ago. When he's giving instructions on taking the Lord's Supper, he puts something in that sometimes we forget. And I'm just going to read it before we set this up. Not time to take the Lord's Supper yet, but I just want to read what he says. He said, listen, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And when he comes, we know who wins. So taking the Lord's Supper is not just a reminder of what he has done in the past on the cross. It's also a promise and an anticipation of what he will do in the future. So you're eating, you're taking, you're drinking the Lord's Supper. Yes, to remind yourself that your life is in his hands, that he died in your place, that he died to buy your forgiveness, to pay your debt. He died to ransom you, to redeem you, and he also died and rose again, and he will restore you on that day. And that day affects this day. Even though this day looks sometimes like this picture, not sure who's going to win, that day tells us who wins, and it's Jesus. And if we're with him, we win too. All right? Amen. So we're going to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper. Please do not take the Lord's Supper until I invite us to do that because... Taking the Lord's Supper is not just an individual act. It's an act that we do as a family of God, as a people of God, together under the Word of God with the Spirit of God. If you are not yet a Christ follower, I want to invite you to become one right now. Jesus has done everything. You just have to say yes. Trust Him. Surrender to Him. Love him back because he first loved you. So the Lord's Supper is a reminder. The Lord's Supper, as we eat physical elements, it reminds us that our life biologically is sustained by food and drink, but our life spiritually and eternally is sustained by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
The Lord's Supper is not only a memorial of something that happened in the past, the Lord's Supper also points us to the future until he comes. And so we recall the words of Jesus that on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and after he'd given thanks, he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. In the same manner, after supper, he also took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And he said, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until, until, until he comes. So I'm going to pray and then our, 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 our bands and our campus pastors will lead us in the close of our service. But I definitely want to invite you. I want to invite you to look past your dot, your life, biologically. I want you to look forward to that day in hope, in joy, in victory. And may that day fuel your soul for some of you restore your soul this day as we pray together God as we prepare to obey you and go forward in taking the Lord's Supper I ask you God to just touch every soul that's listening that's engaged God may faith arise in us may our eyes get past this world, may our eyes get past the dot, may our eyes go forward to that day when we will be complete in Christ, that day when death will be no more, that day when we will be raised in incorruption and immortality and in power to be with you forever and ever. And so God, because you rose again from the dead, we can look forward to your second coming in hope and anticipation. So God, may the memory of your broken body and shed blood, may it fuel our hope for today and for tomorrow. God, may we leave here different, not because the dot we're living in is any different, but because we're different and we know that day victory is inevitable. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. In the name of of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may now partake of the body and blood of Jesus as God leads.